What's better than one John? Here's Johnny. Hmm. Nobody really knows. That's why we put two of them together. This is Kenzano and Wilner, a.k.a. John and John. Welcome to another episode of Kanzano and Wilner, the podcast. I'm John Kanzano. You can read me at johnkanzano.com. That's where I'm writing now. John Wilner is here with me. Bay Area News Group is our mothership. Pac12hotline.com and available at media outlets throughout the conference footprint. And we are recording on Thursday morning. And just to address one piece of news here off the top, the University of California Regents are holding a meeting right now, a closed session discussion about UCLA's Big Ten membership. I don't necessarily expect there to be any news, but certainly check our Twitter feeds today, tomorrow, and in the future. If there is news, we will certainly address it. But those closed sessions of the Regents, boy, it's like trying to get information out of the Kremlin. So (laughs) we will... uh, We'll see what happens. Uh, what else we got here? Well, you know, on that note, let's just do like a let's pretend like we're in the Roman times, right? And you're you're up on that little balcony where the emperor would sit, and I say, "Hey, Wilner, are the regents gonna force UCLA back into the Pac-12 or not? What are you are you doing? Thumbs up or thumbs down? Or where where are you right now on kind of like the mood in the in the Coliseum? You know, my. Uh, my mood hasn't changed. I have thought all along that it was very unlikely that they were going to force UCLA to reverse course. Uh, but I also think the chances are above zero, so you can't ignore it. To me, probably the more likely scenario is that, and I also don't think this is likely, but if something tangible is going to happen, uh, I think that they will, you know, hit UCLA with some kind of subsidy and ask the Bruins to, uh, you know, split a little of their revenue. Maybe they come up with a model in which they determine the delta between UCLA's revenue uh, in the in the pack in the Big Ten and what Cal is losing in the Pac-12 with, without UCLA. And then they say UCLA's got to got to give half that difference to Cal. And I don't know what that number would be exactly. But I could see them doing something like that. That that is maybe that's a ten or fifteen percenter, whereas actually UCLA reversing course is like less than five percent. Make sure you tip your server is what they're going to say to uh, to UCLA uh, as that goes on. So follow Wilner at Wilner Hotline if you want to uh, see his Twitter feed at John Canzano BFT for me. We'll update as that is updated. Um, George Klyovkov was our first interview. Uh, on this podcast. If you missed that episode, uh, you should probably, after you finish this episode, go immediately to it. It's a great listen. It's the first time publicly that George Kugovkov has uh, issued a comment since July 29th. Uh, It was really interesting. Wilner, what was the fallout? What kind of reaction did you get from people who listened to it? Well, I mean, certainly there was some uh, significant skepticism about his comment that UCLA is better off financially staying in the Pac-12, which, you know, uh, to me, that only works. Uh, the, the math that I've done, that only works if you make a presumption that the Pac-12 is going to get a, a significant bump in their revenue from UCLA staying in the conference. And I don't think we're not we're never going to know. Right. Because they're probably not staying. So we won't know. Uh, that was one of them. You know, certainly. Uh, 
uh, I thought his comment that he still is very confident that no schools are going to the Big 12. And, you know, he's getting that from he's getting that vibe from the presidents because he's dealing with the presidents and chancellors on this. And he's trusting them that nobody's going to the Big 12. And we'll see if if that proves to be the case. I tend to think that that's going to be right. But you never know. Yeah, I, I thought I was a little surprised about how confident he was. And he made sort of the assertion that it was, um, you know, it was nobody's going anywhere. Like he really sounded sure of himself that nobody was going anywhere. And it kind of it, it struck me a little bit that, you know, like, isn't that what he felt when USC and UCLA left? Like, didn't you know, he felt pretty confident at that point as well. And, you know, and we know, Wilder, you and I have both reported that USC essentially looked the rest of the Pac-12 in the eye. Carol Folt, the president at USC, was on the expansion committee. She was on the media rights committee. And she did a lot to kill the idea that the Pac-12 would expand uh, a couple of years ago. And she, you know, I don't know what George Klyovkov could have done, but I still think he's the guy on duty. He holds some responsibility in that. You know, I think so. I mean, it, what's interesting is that he said, uh, you know, on the podcast the other day, uh, one of the reasons he's confident nobody's going to the Big 12 is because, you know, he believe he takes people at their word, right? They look at him, they tell him something, he's going to believe them. And you do wonder, you know, what exactly was said in those board meetings, either with all 12 presidents and chancellors or just with Carol in his discussions with Carol Fault about UCLA, uh, USC's commitment. Right. And it gets also back to the fact that, you know, the the alliance uh, was born, what, 13, 14 months ago with the Big Ten and the ACC. And it was basically a gentleman's agreement. And we saw that thing lasted less than a year before, you know, the Big Ten came with its knife in the back. Yeah. And, you know, it looks a couple of the other committee members said that any way you cut it, they lied to our faces. They lied to our entire board. They lied to George. Um, they gave no indication of their desire to leave. That said, that's your job. If you're the commissioner, hold the conference together. And it didn't. So I, I put some of that on him, fair or not. I think that comes with the paycheck. Yep. Yes, absolutely. I mean, he had been in charge for a year. You know, if he's if that happened a year earlier and he's basically it's basically happening the week he takes over, that might be a different story. But there is certainly some responsibility if you've been in charge for what was it? Three hundred and sixty four days. Arizona State is uh, amid now a, the early stages of a coaching search. Herm Edwards and the university, I guess they say mutually parted ways. Uh, looked like a tense discussion in the end zone with Michael Crow, the university president, Ray Anderson, the AD, Coach Herm Edwards. Um, Arizona State says uh, he was not fired on the field. Uh, they that that is a, uh, a a normal occurrence to have the president and the uh, AD at Arizona State greet the football coach after the game on the field. But it certainly looked at that point that they were all done. Where do they go from here, Wilner? First of all. The team, Arizona State, do they are they one of these teams that pulls together and rallies and surprises us all by winning some games, a la Washington State after Nick Rolovich, or or is this more like uh, Oregon State when Gary Anderson left and you know the wheels just come all the way off, right? Or or last year also with SC, you know, kind of floundered there. So I mean, we had two good examples of the two extremes last year, right? Washington State kept winning after Rolovich was was fired and USC 
did not win after Clay Helton was fired. So where does Arizona fit in there? I don't, you know, I'm not sure how it's going to go, but I do know that they got Utah and USC and Washington as their next three games. And that is about a tough uh, triple whammy as you could ask for. So it's possible we're not going to know exactly how, how this season's going to, you know, the trajectory until they can get through these games. Cause that, you know, they were unlikely to win these games, even if they hadn't made a coaching change. Yeah. I think, uh, I think that's the answer right there that we were looking for. I, I don't think this finishes well for Arizona state. Uh, where do they pivot coach wise? We always see programs, NFL teams, major league baseball teams, NBA teams, college teams. They will course correct when somebody doesn't work. In this case, a 68 year old former NFL coach, uh, they would be likely, I think, Arizona State to pivot towards a younger, more energetic, recruiting-type coach, uh, maybe uh, in the mold of Oregon. Um, wh- where does Arizona State pivot? What do you think is going to happen? Well, does Oregon happen to have a young, energetic offensive coordinator <laughs> with ties to Phoenix? Could you could you enlighten me on that? Kenny Dillingham is your guy, and I think he's. I think he'll be a candidate. I think he'll be a strong candidate. I just wonder about. Handing the keys. I guess Oregon's done it with Dan Lanning. Do you hand the keys to somebody who has barely been a coordinator and and say, hey, try your hand at being the head coach? We can't guess what ASU. ASU is the hardest school to try to project because they are likely to do something completely outside the box like they did with Herm Edwards, which, you know, looked to me at the time like it was going to uh, – unfold poorly and and it certainly did right but you know the michael crow prides himself on being an innovator and he's done a great job with the university as a whole on that regard but college sports is a whole different deal and especially college football i think they need to make the most inside the box hire possible they gotta hire somebody who has been a head coach in college who has won who's still young and hungry you know the, to me, the model is is Kalen DeBoer, right? I mean, last go back to last November. SC's hiring Lincoln Riley, huge deal, right? Oregon hires Dan Lanning. You know, tons of publicity around that because of Georgia's great season. And then Washington comes in with Kalen DeBoer. That's kind of a ho-hum hire compared to Oregon and USC, but the guy's a really good coach. He had won for two years at Fresno. They just they hired the best coach out there. And that's what ASU's got to do. Hire the best coach out there. Who's that going to be? Uh, to me, it's a little bit early to tell, but they got to go inside the box. They can't outsmart themselves. I'm looking at people like, you know, Kenny Dillingham at Oregon. I'm looking, uh, you know, I heard a bunch of ridiculous names thrown out there. Like it would be a lot of fun to see Deion Sanders in the Pac-12, but I don't, I don't see that happening. But I'm looking at USC's staff. How about Alex Grinch, the defensive coordinator at USC? Is it possible Arizona State goes, hey, we like what they're doing? I mean, Grinch would be a, certainly a strong candidate, right? And he knows the Pac-12 because he was Mike Leach's defensive coordinator at Washington State. So you're getting a guy who has a ton of college experience, West Coast experience. You know, he's worked at Oklahoma, too. Uh, he, I would think that, you know, if you're trying to project a short list that's going to, you know, two, three months from now, you know, he's probably on it. Dillingham's probably on it, too. The other, though, unknown is this the NCAA investigation, right? Their candidate pool is going to depend to a certain extent on the state of the investigation at that point in early December. If they've heard from the NCAA, if they have seen the notice of allegations, they know what the likely sanctions are, and they can take those to the candidates and say, here's what we're looking at. Are you interested? 
they probably have a better pool of candidates than if they haven't heard a word from the NCAA by then. And nobody knows anything about what the sanctions will be. Great point. I'm John Canzano. You can read me exclusively at johnconzano.com. Grab a free subscription, grab a paid subscription, whatever works for you. And I'm John Wilner, pac12hotline.com, the Bay Area News Group, available media outlets, websites, newspapers across the Pac-12 footprint. Time for time to look at the uh, week four games. There's some good ones. Let's start with the 11 a.m. Pacific time game on the Pac-12 networks. It's UCLA at Colorado. The Bruins and Chip Kelly are a 21-point favorite. Yeah, and, you know, I wonder why it's not like 30. <laughs> you know, given how Colorado has performed so far, they are arguably the worst team in the Power Five, right? That's 65 schools. They haven't been close against TCU. They weren't close against Air Force. They weren't close against Minnesota. And UCLA is certainly as good as those teams, right? So, to me, it'll be interesting to see – you know, if the Bruins just go in there because they've, you know, they have had three uninteresting games, you know, in terms of the names of the opponents. And now they got to play a team that's 0-3. How focused are the Bruins? If they go in there and they're focused, it could be over by halftime. If UCLA, you know, gives Colorado reason to think there's some hope, then then maybe they're in for a, a little bit tighter game than you'd expect. I, I, I have it a little different. I, I think UCLA might be the worst 3-0 and team in the country. Like, I, I just, they have not been impressive, and they haven't played complete games. And maybe some of it is that they're snoozing, they're, they're not interested in who they're playing. But this game, to me, comes down to Carl Durrell. Are his players going to play for him? Rick George came out, issued the statement, basically said, look, be patient. I'll get around to firing him when I get around to firing him. Like, you know, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm disappointed, too. Uh, he did what he needed to do at this point. But if... If Carl Durrell's players want to save his job, if they want to play for him, this is the game. It's his old employer, UCLA. It's a home game at Folsom Field. Everybody's going to be looking, going, how bad is Colorado? Everything you said, I believe it too. UCLA should cover the 21. They should win this game. But let's see what Colorado's players have to say about Carl Durrell because sometimes you will see a team rally around a coach that you know they believe in or he believes in them. Other times, you get a comment like that from an athletic director and the team just checks out. So let's see if the Colorado players will play for Carl Durrell in this game. I think that is the big question. Yeah, and and what quarterback is Colorado going to use, right? Because they, they've got a promising freshman, Owen McCown, and you know, do you turn the whole team, the whole season over to a rookie? Are you that desperate? Is he the best option? That's going to be an interesting subplot. Reminds me of when Mark Helfrich turned to Justin Herbert at Oregon, uh, probably too late. And also, he had Justin Herbert on the bench. We came to him too late and uh, didn't end up saving his job. Uh, the second game of the day is Oregon at Washington State. 2-1 and one Ducks, 15th ranked. This game's on Fox at 1 o'clock. Wilner, how do you see it? Boy, uh, it's interesting how the Cougars owned the series under Mike Leach. And now the Ducks have taken the last two, both by double digits. I think it's going to be close. Two very good defenses. Interesting game in that the Cougars owned the series under Mike Leach, and then the last two years, Oregon has won by double digits. But look, it's two two of the best defenses in the conference. Uh, it's going to be a great environment there. Two quarterbacks that are you know new, and I I think we'll you know it's going to depend on which bow Knicks we get. Right? Are we going to get good bow or bad bow? And I think if it's good bow, 
Oregon will find a way to win the game. If it's bad Bo, I, you know, the Cougars are in, in great shape. I think a lot of it depends on him because I see almost everything else is kind of equal. This is going to be a great game. I, it's To me, it's Washington State's front seven against Oregon's offense. If if Oregon can score, avoid turning the ball over, I think the Ducks win. If Washington State can ugly this up a little bit, I think they're right in it. I also need to see Cam Ward play better. You know, I think right now the narrative for this season for Washington State has been Jake Dickert's defense uh, being good. Oregon's a six-point favorite. I'd be inclined to lean towards Washington State and the points in this game. Yeah. I'm not sure. Here's the other thing. I watched Mario Cristobal go to Pullman and lose his first time there, and he looked bewildered in the game. Dan Lanning says, oh, I've been there once before. I was there as a graduate assistant with Arizona State. But I, I looked up the year that he went and played there. That was a 3-9 and nine Washington State team. This is not a 3-9 and nine Paul team. Paul Wolf era, yeah, probably. Yeah. Is that a Paul? Different animal. And so I kind of wonder, does Dan Lanning, do the, does Dan Lanning know what he's walking into here? Because I've seen this, I've seen this play out before. Can that environment be disruptive and cause them problems? Let's go to the next game: Arizona, two thirty p.m. Pacific time on the Pac-12 networks. Going to Cal, uh, Cal at home in this game is a three-point favorite. How do you see it, Wilner? Well, this is the best bet for a screwy finish because these teams have played a ton of close games. You know, Arizona's won six in a row all by a touchdown or less, a couple of them by one point. Uh, you know, we had the the Hail Mary at the game in Tucson a few years ago, like 49-45. They played a 45-44 game. Last year it was 10-3. You know, Cal didn't have half their team because of COVID. So this is a very uh, under-the-radar entertaining series, and I, I kind of figure it's going to be a, a close game. Cal always plays close close games really so you know whichever quarterback doesn't make a mistake down the stretch that team's probably got a great chance I like Arizona in the points I think it's going to be a field goal game and you know last second field goal I like Arizona to win the game outright I think they're just at that point of their progression this would be a huge victory for Jed Fish's team and I think um, I, I liked how they played in a very close game against North Dakota State found a way to win uh, I think there were a lot of Arizona fans that right up until the last few minutes of that game thought, we're losing this game, we're losing this game. Uh, I, I'm jumping off the Cal bandwagon a little bit. I, I was underwhelmed by their performance at Notre Dame. I thought they would win that game. They hung around but didn't find a way. So I'll take Arizona to start the season uh, with a win in conference play and get to their third win. Arizona, we'll be talking about them. Are they a bowl team? Maybe that'll be a podcast subject <laughs> down the line. Uh, let's move. Well, and and yeah. if the thing is, if they're three and one, they got Colorado, right? So, I mean, you can't count that as a guaranteed win, but it's pretty close the way things look now. So Arizona would be three and one, but awfully close to four and one at that point. USC, for what might be the final time in their history, going to Corvallis, 6.30 Pacific time on Saturday night. Games on the Pac-12 networks, USC, Oregon State, three and oh against three and oh. Number seven team in the country against a team that uh, isn't getting a lot of respect in the polls. Wilner, what do you see? I see uh, a game that will certainly be better than the platform, right? Uh, but I wonder, is this does SC kind of draw a line in the sand here and, and take this as the opportunity to say, we are the team to beat in this conference. We are a playoff caliber team. Uh, you know, come and get us, Pac-12 type deal, right? Just kind of take everything to another level. Uh, well, Oregon State's defense 
is playing way better this year than it has. Uh, but SC's offense is like, you know, alternate universe good. Uh, if, if SC, you know, they have been very opportunistic on, on defense and they haven't stopped anybody, you know, uh, but they have been very opportunistic. So the, the turnovers are going to be the key thing. I think if Oregon State does not turn the ball over, this is going to be down to the wire. If Oregon State makes a couple too many ter- mistakes, then SC could end up winning going away. I think I think SC's going to win this game, and it won't be close with five minutes left. I think, look, I like Oregon State a ton. I just don't know if they can score with USC in this game. They're going to have to try to play ball control. They're going to have to try to keep USC off the field. They're going to have to go for it on fourth and one from midfield. They're going to have to t- create some turnover-like scenarios in that way. Um, I, I, I am a little concerned about Oregon State's team on third and seven or longer it feels dire when they're at third and seven against fresno state even it felt a little dire like it you know i just don't love their wide receivers they'll be without luke musgraves their their tight end who will play in the nfl one day in this game um you know as much as i want to pick oregon state the only things that that oregon state has going for them they've got the home field where they were you know they won seven straight at home they they have played USC at home very well in the last seven games. They're four and three at home against USC in the last seven. Uh, but to me, this uh, it would take an exceptional effort from Oregon State to win this game. And I agree with you. I think the spread right now is six. Uh, I'm inclined to lean towards USC and lay the six points because I'm just not sure that Oregon State can score with them at this point. And and it pains me to say that because I think everybody in the conference wants to see USC lose games. I want to see the shine come off the Trojans. Because I think even if the Trojans get to the playoff, the rest of the country is going to go, well, that's that's the Big Ten-bound USC team. Yep. They're not going to view it as the Pac-12. So, I, you know, I think I'm with a lot of people that would love to see Utah or Oregon or Washington State or Washington get into the playoff instead of uh, USC. How do you see the, the stadium construction impacting the noise and the atmosphere? It, it will be. It's a, it's a weird place. I was there for the spring game. It was weird for a spring game when it was empty. And people who were in the stadium for the opener, I was not there. I was in Atlanta with the Ducks. But people who were there said that it was really loud. And, it, and, and here's another thing. Like, psychologically, I think there's something to this. Psychologically, when you are a team that is of USC's caliber, coming into Corvallis or going to Pullman, I think it presents kind of a psychological obstacle by itself. You're coming in, you see pastures, you see farm equipment, you see, you know, you feel like you're out in the middle of nowhere if you're an L.A.-based university. But beyond that, when they get in the stadium, they're going to be looking across at 27,000 fans plus the opposing team on the other side. So, you know, that home field, it it feels to me like I normally wouldn't make this that big a deal. That home field feels like it's or like maybe Oregon State's biggest asset other than the fact that, you know, they pushed USC around last year at the point of attack. So if Oregon State can run the ball, I do think that that home factor becomes a, a bigger obstacle for, for USC. Yeah, I remember SC going to Pullman with Carson Palmer. I think it was a Halloween game and just Martin Stadium just being bananas and S- and, and the Cougars took him down. And that's, you know, and that's the only way I see this happening because I'm, I'm really struggling with Third and seven, what is Oregon State doing? Third and seven, Lincoln Riley, you know, they'll scheme that up. I I just think, you know, third and seven feels dire sometimes for Oregon State right now. I think it's going to be part of their their challenge all season long. 
Let's move to the Stanford-Washington game. 7.30, FS1, Stanford heading to Seattle to play this game. Uh, the Huskies are a 13.5-point favorite in this game. Wilner, what do you see? Yeah, I see a point total that's like 64, and I don't know that that's high enough. Uh, I'm not sure either defense is going to stop the other team. You know, what's interesting to me is the is the circumstances here. Washington coming off is, you know, biggest regular season win in a while, right? Beating Michigan State. Now they're they're ranked. Everybody thinks the Huskies are back. And here comes Stanford, you know, one and one, but they've had an extra week to prepare. And David Shaw is five and one against the Huskies when Washington is ranked, right? So I this one smells like a potential upset to me, uh, certainly a close game. I like Stanford in the points, but I also like the over. I think you, we could be looking at, you know, 40 to 35, 38, 34, something like that. Tanner McKee, I think, is going to move the ball against Washington's defense. If Stanford does not turn it over in the red zone like they did against SC, they're going to score. This is going to be a fun game and ton of points. I really like Washington. I think I think Washington wins this game. Um, I think they're awfully good. They've, I think they've got good speed on defense. They've got a pass rush. They have a sophisticated passing game. Michael Penix Jr. has been great. His receivers are good. I think it was halftime last week. Washington had 322 yards at halftime against what we thought was a pretty good team in Michigan State. Uh, my criticism of them is Washington doesn't have a hammer at running back. There's no Bishop Sankey. There's no Chris Polk at running back. Other than that, I kind of think Washington has, you know, an inside track to get to Vegas. Like, if, if we're not talking Utah, we're not talking USC, uh, I, I begin to think about Washington as the, maybe the next best team. And here's an opportunity at home against Stanford to prove it because, you know, Stanford fans will be the first to tell you that, you know, they've lost some confidence in David Shaw. So it is a big game for Stanford to prove, you know, where are they in conference play. But I like the Huskies here, and I actually think the Huskies are going to cover in this game. Yeah, well, they certainly were impressive. Uh, you know, what stood out to me in the Michigan State game is that their receivers were wide open, right? I mean, Kalen DeBoer, they they schemed that game perfectly. Michigan State knew, knew what was coming to a certain extent because they faced DeBoer when he was uh, the play caller at Indiana, and they still had guys wide open. That was very impressive. That and the fact that every tackle Washington made, there were five guys around the ball. That is a clearly a team that has you know welcomed the coaching change and is experiencing you know that new that new coach bounce where everything is everything is great the players are super into it and they're they're buying everything the staff is is selling them and yeah i mean it could be this could be one of those games that goes one way or two right either it's an ups, a big upset or washington just blows them out of off the field utah at arizona state 7:30 saturday night games on espn uh, we mentioned the Arizona State coaching change. Utah is a 15-and-a-half-point favorite at ASU. Uh, I, I love Utah in this game. I think they cover. I, I think Arizona State's about to roll over. I, I just don't see it, and I think Utah's good enough to exploit that kind of team on a Saturday night. Well, I mean, the last time these teams played, right, Utah just crushed them in the second half in Salt Lake City's 28 straight points. And if you're, if you're ASU, if you're any team – that has fired their coach and you've had an emotional week, Utah is the last opponent you want to see, right? Because they're going to come in 
and they're going to, you know, they're going to give you the forearm shiver in the face. They're going to knock you back to, you know, 1912 with those, the way they play on the lines of scrimmage. They make you earn every shred of grass on the field. And that is not what you want to have to deal with after an emotional week. So I, I think ASU is in big trouble here. And I, I don't know that it's going to necessarily, you know, uh, uh, show what direction the rest of the season is going to go. But I think this week they are, they are in big trouble. I think this game opened with the Utah's a five and a half point favorite. And then the coaching change happened and now it's up to 15, 15 and a half. And I don't think that's nearly enough. Yeah. I think, I think you're right on that. Uh, make sure you are subscribed to this podcast. Leave us some feedback as well. It helps other people find it. You can read me at johnconzano.com. That's where I am exclusively now. If you want to read what I write every day, have it delivered to your email inbox that's where you get it. I'm John Wilner, Bay Area News Group, Pac-12Hotline.com. Thanks, everybody, for listening.